Welcome back to the Mentor Me podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Hall, and the mentor I got to have a conversation with today is Robin Dreek. Robin spent four years in the U.S. Naval Academy to get his Bachelor of Science in Poli-Sci. Following that, Robin spent 21 plus years as an FBI special agent and head of the Counterintelligence Behavior Analysis Program and recently retired from the FBI in 2018. (laughs) To put all that in English for you, Robin recruited spies for the FBI. And to recruit spies, he needed to build an extremely high level of trust with his recruits. Robin is also the founder of C- and CEO of People Formula, where he works with large and small companies to help them get better and grow throughout all aspects of their business. Robin's also an author of three books, all related to learning how to study human behavior. His first book called It's Not All About Me, the top 10 techniques for building quick rapport with anyone. In 2017, he launched his second book called The Code of Trust, an American counterintelligence expert's five rules to lead and succeed. And most recently in 2020, he launched his newest book titled Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction. All these books are available on Amazon. And if you wanna go to Robin's website directly, go to peopleformula.com. At the end of this episode, Robin tells one of the craziest stories of his FBI time. And he also has a huge offer for his online training programs. So stick around to the end. Enjoy. Um, that is a fascinating question. Um, <laughs> especially when you look at that background, you know, uh, Naval Academy, Marine Corps, FBI, Chief of the Behavioral Analysis Program. You know, you'd think that that was the planned trajectory. Um, no, that was actually life of massive failure. <laughs> because, so, um, yeah, so yeah, the Naval Academy was the first thing. Um, it took me an extra year to get in. It almost took me an extra year to get out. <laughs> um, I went there. Um, I wanted to go there to become a, uh, an aerospace engineer, Navy pilot, test pilot, astronaut, great inspirational leader. And... I failed out of aerospace engineering. My eyes went bad. I couldn't fly. I won't wind up going Marine Corps instead of Navy because I got seasick really bad on my, <laughs> one of my cruises. Um, and so, so I wound up going Marine Corps. And then when I was at my uh, last duty station, Marine Corps, I was at Paris Island, South Carolina, where I was in charge of recruit training aspects of recruit training. And so we literally, I'd never thought about the FBI before. My wife had, she actually had applied before I did. Um, she didn't wind up going FBI. Um, she was smarter than me. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, but we had a recruiter come down and said, hey, I think Marine Corps officers make great FBI agents. And I said, okay. I said, what's what's retirement rate? In other words, you know, how well do people like the job that they stay? And they said 95 to 98% of agents that start and stay to the end. I said, all right, wow. so it must be okay. And I said, does all my military time count towards retirement and this is and this is the the 20 year old robin answering this question um you know because i was you know really fixated on making sure i could provide for myself right and and so that's the trajectory so i got in the fbi and no idea what i was going to do and i got assigned to new york city manhattan i was there during 9 11 um I signed to work counterintelligence which basically my job was to recruit russian spies and 
I was fortunate enough to be on a great squad with a lot of great Jedi masters in the art of relationship building and trust building, because ultimately, if you're going to recruit a spy or sell a product, because it's all really, believe it or not, the same thing, you need to be able to inspire trust and have a good, healthy, strong professional relationship in order to move forward. And that's for anything you do in life. And so... Um, I, I was exposed to the behavioral analysis program. Uh, they came in and consulted on one of my cases, which I thought was fascinating um, to understand this human behavior because I had failed, you know, with this type A personality I had, you can tell from, from that background, uh, if you're going to use that type A hard charging personality, you're going to fail majestically because we're genetically hardwired to really focus on ourselves. Hmm. And if you're going to inspire trust and you're focused on yourself that much, you will fail. And so Again, luckily, I had some great folks in my um, squad that were really good at this, and I was exposed to the behavioral analysis program, and uh, I became fascinated by it. I wound up getting on the team and eventually took over the team. So it was really um, at the key junctures and, and critical points in my life where I failed. Um, it's because I didn't have a teacher, mentor, and guide, and at the, and at the key junctures that things went right is because I did have a teacher and mentor and guide. And I was so oblivious to this when I was younger. Um, it was never intentional. I was luckily that I had people that inserted themselves in my life. I mean, literally when I was in high school, um, I had a high school resource officer, you know, uh, the, the local sheriff's department put a resource officer and he had heard about me and I had okay grades like B pluses, A minuses. My SATs sucked. I had to take them seven times to even get a, the minimum score to even get an application to the Naval Academy, but I was a good kid. And so this guy inserted himself in my life and he introduced me to people. He, he said, you know, try this, do this, do this. And so I literally listened to him. And I had another senior when I was a freshman that had gotten in Naval Academy and I attached myself to him to be like him. And so inadvertently, I had teacher mentors and guides that got me in what I could not have done otherwise. And likewise, when I failed out of aerospace engineering, it's because I didn't have a teacher mentor and guide saying, hey, this is how you need to really study and think about being an engineer. Um, I mean, so it, was a, so it was befuddling to me. So it was really hit or miss. And so the younger version of myself um, really benefited when I had one, a mentor, and really suffered when I didn't. And I think that can be said for anyone in life at any point in any juncture. You know, I think our greatest successes happen when we have good trust, healthy, strong relationships, and that we have a mentor and guide, and also we are we are also mentors and guides. You know, it's about uh, giving and taking. So long answer. I get a little long-winded. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's so good. Uh, you spoke a little bit about trust, which I want to hit on here in a little bit. But when I think of your career <clears throat> uh, that was centered around, you know, studying behaviors of people, uh, you have to be able to listen extremely well. What were some of the things that you learned? You know, you talked about that you're a type A personality, so you're kind of, you're kind of more brash, go get it. Um, maybe a little bit less of a, a good listener at the start of your career. Oh, horrible. <laughs> what, did, what did you learn about listening uh, throughout your career? Um, that people generally don't care what you, what, how you make them feel about you. They care about how you make them feel about themselves. You know, it's, 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 it's stop selling yourself and which is fine, you know, you can sell yourself, but if, as long as you sell in yourself in terms of what's important to them, not what you think is important. And so what I really learned 
to, to really listen and pay attention and shift the focus from yourself to others. And that's really the key because, you know, as a behaviorist in all of us, we're genetically and biologically hardwired and coded to want to belong to meaningful groups and organizations and to be valued by those people because it means we'll survive because if you're part of a tribe, ancient tribal man, you know, our survival depended on relationships, you know, and, and mutual beneficial, you know, exchanges. And so what I learned was, is that the shift from yourself to others is really pretty simple. If you include one of these four things in everything you say or everything you write, whether it's a Zoom call in person or in any other medium, make sure you're seeking their thoughts and opinions instead of telling them yours. Two, talk in terms of their priorities, of their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations, their challenges in life, both personal and professional. Because here's another truism of human behavior. We're genetically and biologically coded to always act in our own best interests in terms of our safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves and our loved ones. And so if I take the time to figure out what you think is in your best interest, I now know what you're going to do. And if I offer you resources in terms of those things, and that's that second step, understand what their priorities are, we're going to have a relationship. Why wouldn't we? And so the third thing is validate them without judging them. In other words, seek to understand. I call this non-judgmental curiosity is one of the best gifts you can give another human being is seek to understand. And so having that curiosity shifts the focus from yourself to them. It gets you to shut up. Instead of trying to show someone how interesting you are, figure them out and how interesting they are so it's that conscious shift and then finally uh, i empower people with choices because people don't like being told what to do they like having a choice on what to do and so as long as you understand what your priorities are and you now understand what their priorities are when you empower people with choice they will overlap it's just a natural way our brains work so that's how you actually make a conversation about everyone else but yourself wow yeah i find myself <clears throat> i actually had this conversation with my wife last night it's talking about you know, something that I was passionate about. And she's like, you're so, you're so passionate and, and opinionated. And I'd realized this whole time as I was telling her what I thought, I was just spewing out my opinions to her without asking her any questions about what she thought. And, and you're exactly right on that. I've found that in relationships this year. Um, and I've found it out in the worst way, you know, to, to find out through experiencing having bad conversations and, and, and not listening to people. I've done that so much this year. So I think you nailed not, it on the head. And that's not the worst way. That is the best way. I mean, yeah, for you to realize that at this age is powerful. No one's going to be perfect all the time at these things. It, you know, you know, life is a, a, a journey, not a destination, you know, being, mm -hmm. you know, have an empathy towards others and be, you know, understanding mentorship, being one, finding one, all these things are not perfect things you're going to ever master, but you're going to get better and better every day. But the only way you ever get better and better is to have that level of self-awareness and humility to say, huh, I kind of <laughs> suck at this. <laughs> huh, I'm pretty annoying right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would say my three books I've written are my, are my manuals on how not to be the self-centered narcissist I was born to be. And I work at it every day. I mean, my first book, it's called, it's not all about me. And I still huh. have my wife hold it up to me at least once a week and say, Hey, <laughs> I got a book for you to read. Yeah. <laughs> Where's this guy? Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. Where's um, this guy? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> man, no, that's so good. You hit it on the head. Um, so I want to talk about your book, Code of Trust. Because sure. uh, throughout your career, you had to build trust with these people um, that you were hiring and build trust with people you were probably uh, 
you know, working against in a, in a way or people that you were trying to negotiate with or things like that. So how did you build trust um, with people? What were some main keys? Um, the first one is a lot of things we were already talking about, you know, understanding human beings that, you know, once you can stop thinking in terms of convincing someone to do something, because convincing really is about my ideas, I'm trying to impart on you, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you to take an action, it's extremely self centered. And it's fraught with peril. Uh, and a lot of times, you know, you wind up convincing someone to do something and they're reluctant. And if they're reluctant, well, then what have you just done? You actually created negative brand for yourself. Um, they're doing things that they really rather not do. They'd rather not see you. It's, it's really not a good way to go about doing things. So first thing I want to do is get rid of the things of thinking in terms of convincing someone of something and think in terms of how can I inspire them to want to. Because if you want to build trust, it has to be about them. Like we said, include those four things when you're communicating. And the other thing is your mindset. If instead of convincing you of my thought and opinion or convincing you to be a spy, you know, or a confidential human source or to buy my product, I have to inspire you to want to because inspiration has to come from you. And so how do you inspire someone to take action? I need to understand what your priorities are. And when I take that time to understand what your priorities are and I offer you resources in terms of those priorities, well, now we have a much better, you know, possibility of developing trust in a relationship. And it's, and the, here's the other thing too. Um, I am completely transparent and honest when I'm communicating, you know, because if anyone ever, you know, suspects manipulation or subterfuge or deception, you will not have trust, no trust, no relationship, no relationship, nothing moves forward. You know, so I came, so in the code of trust, um, I got this five-step process that I realized, you know, when I was running my behavioral team, someone asked me to do another article on what counterintelligence behavioral analysis is. And so I actually took a step back and said, well, when I'm actually doing a behavioral assessment with my team, what am I actually doing, you know, for whether it's a recruitment operation or a double agent operation, an espionage, you know, interview or investigation, what am I actually doing every single time we're doing this? And that's when it hit me with a ton of bricks. I am actually strategizing trust because every single one of those things, those tasks that requires another human being requires trust because no one's going to do anything unless they trust you. And so here's what it is. And the first step in the code of trust for me is understand what your goals and priorities are. And that's what makes this all leadership. And leadership's not about title and position. Leadership's about understanding the destination you're walking to and inspiring people around you to hopefully be part of that team. And I say hopefully because part of this whole process is I have no expectation of reciprocity. You give your resource for others without that expectation. Because if I have an expectation, in other words, if I'm doing things for you because I want you to do something for me, Where's the focus again? Who's it really about? It's mm. about me. So the first step is understand what my goals and priorities are, both means goals and ends goals. And so what I mean by that is the means to the end. A lot of times people think I have to do these small, smaller, smaller tasks and goals first to get to my end goal. And those means goals are things like, like in the FBI, I got to conduct interviews, collect intelligence, recruit spies, all those things. And in the business world, I have to create a good marketing plan. I have to have a good sales team. I have to actually have a product that's worth selling and I want to sell that product, you know, but what's the end goal for me in national security? was protect national security in the United States. Ends goals of companies is whatever the mission statement of the company is. So if you let go of accomplishing those smaller goals first and focus on the ends goals first, everything falls into place. And here's what I mean. So the ends goals I have, my three anchors, and they're, the, and they're actually the, the priorities of my company. My number one is a, is a healthy, strong professional relationship. 
because nothing can be accomplished without that. And part of that actually is going to be mentorship in there as well. My second ends goal is open eyes communication and transparency because I cannot have that great relationship without that. And my third is I make myself an available resource for your success and prosperity with no expectation or reciprocity. In order to do that, I have to understand what your priorities are. I understand what your priorities are. I'm now going to do all I can through resources to be to be hopefully someone in your life that you need or want to help you accomplish those things. And the key is no expectation reciprocity. But now with the magic here is when you're, sh when they're, if they're sharing and, and they're seeking your thoughts and opinions about what your priorities are, I share. And if they feel so inspired, you know, to, to make a connection for you, make an introduction for you. Fantastic. If not, that's fine too. Cause again, I manage those expectations. So those are my three ends goals. Want to honor those first and foremost everything else falls into place. It's, it's, it's the most dumbfounding thing I've ever seen in my entire life. When you can actually humble up, no, share what you actually not good at, <laughs> seek the thoughts and opinions of others, seek advice, look for mentors, look for guides, all your gaps of who you are as a human being get answered because, you know, we're all working on something. We all have great, beautiful strengths and we all have great um, areas that we need to work on, mm -hmm. you know, but the way that we do that is collaborating mm -hmm. and forming these great partnerships. So that's step one. Step two is understand the priorities of others, their needs, wants, dreams, and aspirations. We came up with that. Because when you do both these things, I understand my priorities in step one. I understand their priorities in step two. I gave it label and meaning. When you give it a label and meaning, you recognize it everywhere. And the opportunities, it's just like when you buy a new car. You buy a new car and all of a sudden you're seeing that same make and model everywhere because it has label and meaning. You don't have to right. try, you just do. So that's why this is really important to give it label and meaning. That's step two is their priority. Step three is understand their context, how they see life through their particular lens, their optic, their generation, ethnicity, orientation, demographic, where they live, social status, economic status, without judging. Because this is where you're gonna build some affiliation, some commonality, some liking, hopefully. Step four, step four is where I wanna make sure I'm putting my language together. In other words, I understand all this great content. I focused on you as a human being. Now I have to communicate with you in terms of you. So I go back to those four things. I'm gonna make sure when I'm communicating in every single line, whether I'm written, where I've written it down in an email, or I'm about to speak it out loud. I wanna make sure I'm either seeking your thoughts and opinions, making sure I'm talking in terms of your priorities of what's important to you, validating you without judging you and giving you choices. Hmm. Build one of those things in the works and finally, Step five is putting it all together, crafting the most beautiful encounter I can make, fully conscious of everything I'm trying to do to make this all about you with full transparency, too. Because remember, this is all about genuineness, sincerity, transparency, so that, you know, because people say to me all the time, I used to teach us in the FBI all the time. My bosses saw me do this and they'd say to me, Robin, what are you doing it to me now? I said, what, making it about you? Yes, <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. If I'm not doing good enough, let me know. I mean, it's really because I am self-centered. I need to do this. Yeah. Uh, and so crafting that counter, you're, you're basically, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why, you know, who do they need me to be, you know, to build trust, you know, what, do, you know, what, what's the purpose of this encounter? You know, when, when's the best time of day for them? Hmm. Um, what should I do, you know, to, to make it better for you, you know, and the why, you know, so why would you want to have a conversation with me from your point of view? And so the, the way I always make sure I start off a conversation is what I call a very specific uh, non-judgmental validation of one of their strengths, attributes, or actions. So what that means is I'm always trying to pay attention to where you're awesome because mm -hmm. we all are. Everyone, every human being has a great strength. I will find it. I will give myself a great positive confirmation bias instead of looking for what you suck at. Right. Because again, we're all 
we're all having securities, we're all working on something. And if you're always trying to find something negative, I guarantee you will. Mm -hmm. Try to find the positive and you know what you will. Hmm. And so when you, when you start out with a great validating statement, or, and if you don't know them well enough yet, you can validate their time because no one ever has to give you their time. You know, when you start out a conversation with that, the shields are coming down. Now I'm going to make it all about you by using all those four things. Wow. Yeah. What, what you just said, validating people and something they're good at. Cause when we're having conversation and you're looking for how, oh, what is it about this person? You know, I, I maybe don't like, or what, you know, whatever it is. I, I read a book or I heard something once that, uh, I think it was John Maxwell. He talks about how you should um, give a genuine compliment within the 30, first 30 seconds of, of seeing somebody. So at this point, you already know somebody. But to come in and, and just say something super genuine to them because that kind of lowers their guard. It means, hey, I'm happy you're in this meeting. When you hear that, it, it excites you to be in the room with the person that just gave you the compliment to, right? And it, and it just demonstrates to that person that you really are paying attention to them. And, yeah. and I, I, there's this, there's this agent that I, I trained years ago. Um, he was a, he's a hardcore engineer, you know, and engineers um, sometimes struggle because they think they think they don't have empathy or they think they can't do it because they're very process oriented. But what did I just describe? I described a process. Right. <laughs> you know, right. So I, I, I love teaching this because this helps people that are naturally doing this understand what they're doing so they can teach mentor and guide others instead of just saying, watch me, you know, that, mm. that does nothing for me. I'll, I'll watch you yeah. for 10 years and I might get it. <laughs> right. But now right. I can, if I know exactly what you're doing, I'll get it faster. And also for people that are struggling because they think they don't know how to do it or they can't do it. Well, here's a process you do. And so this one agent, um, th there was this professor at a university out on the West coast that, is in a great position to share information with the US government and help protect national security at an extremely high level with the people he was talking to, the research he was doing, the foreign nations that were knocking on his front door. Um, but he did not want to talk to the CIA or FBI at all. You know, he kept rebuffing approaches because they kept going at him. And I say at him because this is what they did. They knock on the front door unannounced, you know, hey, you know, we're so and so from the FBI, CIA, we really need your help and here's what we want you to do. Who's that all about? It's all about them. Meanwhile, this, this, yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, and which is a very typical approach people think they can convince someone of. Yeah. No, <laughs> you got to make it about him. And so what this one agent did was um, he was going to be up, um, <laughs> up, up to bat. New agent, only been in a couple of years. And he had taken my class. And I said, one of the best things you can do is, is figuring out the priorities of other people. And I'm always saying, you know, have they written anything? Have they published anything? Well, the guy had written numerous books. And so what this agent did was he got permission from his boss to take a week off of work and read every single book this professor had published to find out his context, understand his priorities, understand what was important to him. So he got the professor on the phone and said, hey, hey, sir, you know, I know I'm from the FBI and you don't typically like to hear from us, but I've read all, <laughs> a lot of your books and I had a, a couple questions about this, this and this. Uh, if you if you do happen to have time to have a chat or a discussion conversation, I could really uh, I could really benefit from your advice and counsel if that's something that's appropriate for you. Again, who did he just say? He's thought his thoughts and opinions. He validated them. He gave him choices and he talked into with his priorities. Then he, when he got to the professor, the professor was extremely reluctant to talk to him. But the professor started, you know, but, he, but the agent asked, hey, say, sir, you know, 
And, you know, I was wondering about this one area of expertise in plasma physics or something like that. And professor started explaining something. And, and th this, this, this very astute agent actually recognized something that he actually quoted himself from a book when he had written it. And the agent said to him, hey, that actually reminds me. You had actually said this very specific thing in the book. And he quoted the, the, the uh, professor back to himself from what he'd written. And the guy's, oh, my gosh, you read all my books? And he goes, well, absolutely. That's, you're a great expert. Of course I read your books. Shields down, volunteered to help in any way he possibly could because he wow. knew how to make that conversation all about him. So quoting someone back to, to them, paying attention to those strengths, it's a fantastic way to build great connections. And it's also very genuine, sincere. Yeah, because it shows you actually put time in to understand that person, right? Hmm. Absolutely. Curiosity does great things. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier about um, – I, I, I can't remember exactly what you – said or how you worded it, but it was basically, you got to be able to think of yourself less and uh, almost, I, I've read something that you said that you should, ego suppression is a, is a really good thing when you can ego push, suspension, yeah, yeah e e ego suspension. And uh, so what have you learned about that? How does that build trust in relationships? So what ego, the people that are able to suspend their ego, basically they have an ability to suspend your own vanity, um, self-importance. Um, you don't, you don't, you're not impressed with yourself and your own title and position. You're not seeking title and position. Um, people that do that have, basically they have a higher level of self-awareness and mm. what higher level, you know, they did great studies. Um, matter of fact, a, a book called Insight um, talks about this, the, really the research that went be behind some of the greatest, most successful CEOs in the world have the highest level of self-awareness. And what this, the best parts of this self-awareness is, is that you're aware of your strengths and know how to play to them. And you're also aware of your weaknesses and you actually are transparent with them with others. Um, hmm. And people that have the ability to be transparent about what they're good at and what they suck at, and they can poke fun at themselves over it. And they have plan. And the most important thing, they have plans in place to offset them. In other words, if you know, like me, I'm really, I think I'm really decent on my content and that's why I have online training academy, all this stuff, but here's where I suck. I suck at sales. I suck at marketing. I suck at web design, you know? And so I, all these areas I have gaps in. And so hmm. the most important thing for me is to be transparent with that, with the people I'm chatting with and say, Hey, please, if you have any advice or guidance for me, here's what I really suck at. And likewise, take a look at what I have for you. And if it, I can fill any gaps for you, please hmm. let me know. And I'll be happy to do that as well. You know, so it's that higher level of self-awareness where you, where people actually have the ability to, to suspend their need to try to impress you because the way you want to impress people is actually having that higher level of self-awareness. People are clear and transparent because when you're clear and transparent, what is it? It's genuine. It's sincere right. because then you can trust because no one is trying to pull the wool over your eyes. No one's trying to take advantage of you because people that are completely transparent there's no second guessing. I, you know, there's no, I, I used to say my, my greatest fear when I'd walk away from a first contact or a first meeting with someone in the FBI, I said, please ask me any questions that are burning on your mind right now. Because if I walk away from you and you say to yourself, I wonder what he really wanted, I've totally failed you. I want you to have complete knowledge of it. Um, because why wouldn't you? Because if I'm trying to build a relationship, you have to know everything that, that's going to make you feel comfortable. Wow. That is so good. 
Man, I'm just trying to process all this as you're talking. I know it's called I, death by Robin. Too many words. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's so good that I'm I'm thinking of all the things in my head. Like self awareness is something I need to get so much better at, and because everyone if, does. Yeah, because we all like to just hide that. We all like to hide our weaknesses and act like they're not weaknesses. It's okay, you know, and and that's again having the knowledge of it of what you want to do is an is that's enough to start that process realizing that all right i do have insecurities and i'm embarrassed by them i might be ashamed by them um whatever they are let go of that because yeah. you know what everyone is working on something that's another guarantee of human behavior you know i always say all of us are born pretty 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 perfect then the world messes up for about 19 years and we spend <laughs> the rest of our lives trying to overcome it <laughs> you know i've done enough investigations of a plenty of human beings as as good as someone might look on the outside Everyone is working on something. Yeah. So, and the people that can be transparent and open about it and, and less ashamed and more, again, self-deprecating humor is one of the best things you can use to get the shields down. Because if they, because think about this, if I'm willing to share with you openly and honestly, what I'm not good at and what I, what I fail at or, or what I'm challenged with, what is, what else is there to hide? You know, right. so you will have, now it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like or dislike someone, but at least you can trust what they're going to be saying is extremely transparent because then, because transparency leads to situational awareness of the other person. When the other person has situational awareness, they're able to make decisions based on really good, accurate information that builds trust. Yeah, that's so good. Let's say, um, let's say it's your first time meeting your boss or maybe a guy first impression on a girl. What are some nonverbal things when you have that first interaction? Because everyone says first interactions are so important. But uh, even if it's not a first interaction, what are some nonverbal cues that people should be using in everyday conversations? Did you just see my YouTube post on this? <laughs> mm, I don't think so. I literally put out yesterday or two days ago, a two minute videos. I, I put out videos on my uh, YouTube channel as well. And I literally, I, the, the title of it was first impressions. Oh, really? I think I read an article you wrote on, on nonverbals, but I don't think it was, a, yes. I didn't watch a video on it. So here, so for anyone listening to the audience, you can go to my YouTube channel. You can actually look at this as well. Uh, and I'll cover it right now though. So you don't have to. So I'm going to cover the nonverbals, but I'm also going to cover a few other things because it actually kind of wraps into that great first impression. The one of the most important things you can do for a great first impression is smile. <laughs> you know, this, this full facial smile, not just the, the, the pulling it, the cheek straight yeah. back, <laughs> the forced one, you want to feel joy mm. in, in meeting this other person put the smile on specifically just for them in other words be excited and this is where what's really important here is congruence congruence between what you look like verbally and what you're um i mean what you're saying verbally and what you're looking like non-verbally so i want to make sure i'm having great high comfort displays when i'm engaging with you for the first time or anytime so always start with a smile the other thing i want to use is what i call open ventral displays um, where i'm going to have eyebrow elevation um maybe a little bit of head tilt to the side exposing the Crowded artery saying to the, the animal kingdom, Hey, I trust you not to rip out my jugular vein. I want to make, I want to make sure I'm using up and out ventral displays like palms up. In other words, when you're talking to someone talking like, Hey, help me understand. What do you think about this? As opposed to what do you think about this? <laughs> right, right. You know, that does it, seem different as you're saying it right now. 
And, and you know, not just the tone of voice, but the words are exactly the same, but this is high comfort. This right. is saying, I'm inviting you to share as opposed to this. I got eyebrow compression, lip compression, palms down. I'm intense on you. I might be speeding your tempo up. So non-verbally, that's what I want to do. The other thing that goes into non-verbals, I like to match tempo. Not everyone's operating at your tempo. And if you want to make that great first impression, adjust your tempo to theirs. Um, it, and it's not a game that you play. It's just really making sure that you're communicating with them in a way that they want to communicate, especially mm -hmm. for people like me. You know, I'm an extrovert. I'm, a, I'm high intensity. I was born in, in New York, raised in New York. My tempo was way out of sync with the world. You know, even listen to this podcast. I guarantee you, you have a lot of listeners saying, that dude talks fast. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Um, I, I work on it, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and so you want to adjust your tempo the best you can. Again, you're going to have congruence with tempo, then you're going to have great nonverbals. And now the last thing I want to make sure I'm going to do is what are those four things I already hit before in language? That great first impression you're going to do is you're, you're going to speak, seek their thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of what's important to them and their priorities, validate them. In other words, have that curiosity about them without judging and when appropriate, give them choices. As a matter of fact, the choices I, I love is I always say, if that's something you're comfortable doing, if you know, would you prefer to meet at two or one? Would you like to go for a cup of coffee or a sandwich? All these little things are choices. And my, my, my last contact with anyone on first contact was, hey, and, and if you ever want, don't want to hear from me again, let me know and I'll leave you completely alone. I'll put a little note in the file never to bother you again. <laughs> and, and when you take that it's okay approach, who turns you away? No one did. It never happened. It just because think about this. When you include those four things in your language and that first impression, what's happening is you're demonstrating that value. You're demonstrating that affiliation. That other person's biological chemical brain is rewarding them chemically positively for engaging with you. Dopamine's being released. So when I'm doing those four things, every time I'm saying something, dopamine's being released. Think about the greatest, healthiest relationships you have in your life. During your last conversation and dialogue, how often during that conversation and dialogue did you actually seek their thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of their priorities, validate them, and give them choices? Anecdotally, maybe 5 to 10% of the time, maybe right. 15 Think about the power of that strength of relationship and that great first impression if everything you say and do is exactly that. Who wouldn't want to be back in touch with you again? Who wouldn't want to see you again? Who wouldn't want to trust you? Who wouldn't want to have a relationship with you? Who wouldn't want to be a teacher, mentor, and guide to you? Right. You know, and so that's how you do a great first impression. You make it about them and show that great understanding and comfort non-verbally when you're engaging. That is so good. And and I've always wondered what why are some people so um why do they have this attractive vibe to them? And what you're making it sound like for people in sales, I'm in sales. And what you're making it sound like is people are attracted to the salesman who uh, figures out what the other person's priorities are because yeah. they sound heard. And, and so often in sales, it seems like, oh, if I can just push what I want, what I want, what I think they need, what I want them to do, then you're not going to be that attractive as a salesperson, right? No, and it, and it destroys your personal brand. Right. You know, if you become the person that people cringe when they see the number pop up on the cell phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> or the email when it comes through, they disregard it. 
It's right. because you've created a negative personal brand because you made it about yourself and you tried to convince people to do things rather than to inspire them. The mm. greatest, the greatest salespeople in the world are exactly what you just said. They're the ones that understand the priorities of others and offer resources in terms of those priorities. And now there are some industries that are even more challenging. I, I remember I, I've done a lot. I do a lot of work with the finance industry. And, and a lot of times insurance, I mean, you know, insurance salesmen sometimes get a bad rap, you know, or it's the most, one of the most challenging things to do. Yeah. And I worked this one company uh, with their insurance team and their sales reps, and they had the most beautiful outlook on it and said, we actually provide resources for life's unexpected critical disasters. I said that, wow, that's a great priority. Because in other words, what one of the things that they did was they helped people discover a priority they might not have known about. Mm. And then they offer resources in terms of those priorities. And again, it, it came down to the choice of the individual to actually assess right. whether that's a, a critical vulnerability and a priority for them in terms of their family's safety, security, and prosperity, or their business's safety and security and prosperity. But what they did was they highlighted a potential gap in their knowledge about a priority that they might have been oblivious to. And again, then they'd be offered resources. If they take them, great. If not, that's fine too, because even if someone doesn't want to buy your product, but you leave them feeling better for having met you because you made it such a great conversation, what are you going to now have? The bread and butter of every single business anywhere in the world, referrals. Hmm. Referrals only come when you have positive brand. And here's where positive personal <laughs> brand overcomes all. Say your company um, starts having a negative company brand. I mean, I worked with the FBI for the last you know, <laughs> 21 years. Has that, has that company brand taken a massive hit? Dang right. You know, well, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It took a hit. Right. You know, but did I take a hit personally? No. Because I my personal brand was solid because people knew me uh, when I went in the door and I made that conversation all about them. And they mm -hmm. asked me questions about what my thoughts and opinions are. I gave my thoughts and opinions with, with clarity, transparency, and also without judging. You know, it's always about maintaining good cognitive thought. You know, I always related everything, you know, I saw and observed to law, law and policy, because laws and policies are put into place for checks and balances and things. And so I just I just regurgitated what I knew about law and policy. And you make your choice and decisions, but here's who I am. <laughs> sure. Oh man, that's so good. All right. Uh, I got some final questions for you. One of them, I'm not even sure if you can answer, but I want to ask it anyway. Awesome. I love it. What is the craziest story you have from being the FBI the last 20 years? I actually got a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I can some, imagine. I was, you know, there's a few that I, I, yeah, I <laughs> I've shared before. My wife said, you cannot say that again. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I'd say probably I'll just share one. And it's actually in my last book, Sizing People Up. Um, the people you can find amazing people in New York City, you know. So one of the things that the FBI does when you work counterintelligence and they, if a conflict breaks out anywhere in the world, uh, one of the responsibility of the, of the FBI who works protect national security is to interview and talk to and look for information from every single human being in our country that either is from there, knows people there, has a visa from there, citizen, mm -hmm. not citizen. You know, we interview. And so when the Iraq war break broke out and I was in New York, you know, we had an interview, everyone that had ever been any attachment to Iraq. Um, and so one of the funniest stories from that time was I wound up finding uh, Saddam Hussein's dentist. <laughs> no way. Yeah, living in New York. Um, so it was a funny interview because his wife was a uh, was a uh, ACLU lawyer, 
And she did not like us knocking on the front door and having a chat <laughs> I with can her imagine. husband. And so it went back and forth. But he loved chatting with us because all we were doing was seeking a sauce opinion. Because, you know, our role yeah. was to try to find actionable information that will help protect U.S. persons domestically and abroad, as well as our allies and, and innocent civilians. I mean, that's literally all you're trying to do is help protect people from heinous things going on. And so he was loving chatting with us. She kept trying to kick us out. Snip, snap, snip, snap, snip, back. And so uh, it wound up being really good. And he actually gave us information, um, which was pretty critical because he actually told us what uh, Saddam Hussein's um, route was. He would take to try to avoid bunker busters in between all the embassies. No way. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was, uh, I mean, that's just one of many, you know, most days are filled with, you know, mundane, typical things in life. Um, but every now and then you come across some pretty interesting individuals that, uh, just make, just, you have, you show that curiosity. I mean, yeah. I was just, it was dumbfounding. It's like, wow, we found his dentist. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's crazy. Matter of fact, the chapter in the book we call is the, the only man Saddam Hussein feared. <laughs> <laughs> That is too good. Wow. I'm sure you have so many more too that are, that are just as crazy. Um, all right, Robin, just some final lifestyle questions for you. Do you have a morning routine? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, when I was in the FBI, maybe not as much because every day was kind of a little bit different, but my, my early day routine, I'll call it, is uh, you know, I generally get up around 6.37-ish. And I, especially during COVID, I have become a massive outdoor walker. Yeah. So I walk a lot. And I'm matter of fact, it's one of the best, healthiest things I've ever done. Um, not just the exercise part of it, but also because I am a visual learner and I used to read visually and it was very laborious and time consuming because you could only single task and not multitask. But I, I kind of took a dive and did audible and I go through boatloads of books right now. Um, and it's probably one of my most enjoyable conscious times through the day. So I, I'll walk twice a day generally, and I'm, and I'm okay. pouring through books at a mad rate. So that's pretty much my morning uh, routine. And also I got my two whiteboards. I got one whiteboard on my left, which is my week where I have all my, uh, my tasks for the day. I'll go through emails first thing in the morning, making sure I'm, I'm responding to people I should be responding to. <laughs> and then I have the project board on the right. And so every day uh, I'm making sure that's updated and I'm keeping pace with what I got for the day. Um, so that's pretty much how I kick off the day. That's awesome. Do you uh, journal at all? Uh, no. Um, oh boy, it's a, I don't, I don't journal, but I do write a decent amount is a, is okay. a better way to say it. Um, and so I, because when I do articles, I do blog postings or things like that, or even coming up with, I mean, I, I, I keep note, I mean, I got my stack of notebooks, you know, you know, all over the place. And I try to keep them organized in one place. Um, that's my form of journaling. Um, and also because one of the things I do when I'm walking is that's where I kind of reflect a lot in the morning um, on all the things that are going on. Or if I'm listening to the book and I get a really uh, good idea on something, my, my cell phone on my notes section on my cell phone is volumes long as I'm coming up, as I'm inspired by ideas or things or things I think would be uh, good to share with others. And so that's kind of my form of journaling that I do. Yeah. I love it. I love to hear everyone's different styles of journaling. Cause I 100% count that as journaling, just thoughts throughout the day. Maybe you just, some people have a structured time where they journal, but uh, it sounds like you have just ideas that pop into your head as you're doing something and that's your yeah. style of journaling. I think that's Definitely. awesome. And the most important thing, part of that is you get these ideas and inspiration things that pop in your head when you have a calm brain, you know, mm -hmm. no, and I don't do crazy brain, you know, all the negative emotions you can have of frustration, anger, resentment, uh, discontentment, 
when you have those things, you're, you're going to cloud your vision of the solutions. And all those solutions that you're being clouded from come from other relationships. That's why I keep coming back to this. If you have good, healthy, strong relationships, you will have a calm brain. If you have a calm brain, um, you will have the inspiration you're looking for in anything you ask yourself. Man, that's so good. All right. What is one piece of advice that you would leave for people in their 20s and 30s? Um, I'm going to give you two tasks to do okay. that I, I think will help a lot. Well, the one piece of advice is this, and then I'll give you a task to help you do it. In my last couple of years of my career, I remember saying to myself, all right, I'm done making myself look good. I'm at the end. Um, I literally consciously said to my boss for the first time, I said, where do you see yourself in five years? And he shared, and I said, my job is to help you get there. What are your goals and priorities? That was the most dumbfounding thing I ever said in my life because it was literally me saying to the people around me, I am here for your success. I'm going to do my all to make your job easier and get you where you want to go. Mm-hmm. If I had done that when I was in my 20s, I don't, the, the world's boundless for you because who doesn't want that person in their life? And so I say right. my advice and guidance is discover the priorities and the jobs of those around you and figure out how you're going to make their jobs easier. You're going to have as many options and many directions you can move in as you want because everyone will want you to be part of their team because you know how that's not just being a team player a lot of times people think you got to be a team player by still making yourself look good no what are you going to do to make other people look good Mm. and then you have options because you're going to have those great relationships in order to do that now you've got to do these two things i think we we already talked about them but when you can consciously do these things fantastic for every relationship you have discover their uh discover what they're great at Give yourself good confirmation bias, positive confirmation bias to see their greatness. So when you have those meaningful conversations, you can do a great validating statement. The second is in order to make yourself a resource for others, you have to know what their priorities and challenges are. So for everyone you're engaging that is part of your professional and personal life, I challenge everyone to figure out what their top three priorities and challenges are. Give it a label and meaning because when you give it a label and meaning, you will recognize opportunities to be a resource for them. And it's not anything you do that all of a sudden you're going to start going way out of your way. No, this is just being observant now with things that you're seeing already, but we give it a little meaning, you recognize opportunities a little more proactively. So just do those two things and you're going to see massive change in your trajectory because what it is, is I always thought life was a single path and you kind of had to walk your path. That path is determined by the relationships you have, the teachers, mentors, guys, and all those things. But think about it. If you actually know how to build relationships across multiple paths, you will have multiple options and directions you want to walk. Um, It calms the world around you and you can literally maneuver in any direction you want to. Wow. That is so uh, countercultural what you spoke about today. Thinking about other people, thinking of yourself a little bit less when you're having these conversations. Um, Robin, where can you expect from the spy recruiter? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. So Robin, uh, where can people find you? Where can they find your books? Great. Um, one-stop shopping. Um, go to my website, which is peopleformula.com. All one word, peopleformula.com. On my website, you have, I love scaling things for folks that don't have a whole lot of resources. You can listen to podcasts like this. I have a YouTube page. You can check out some videos of stuff I do there. I've got my books are linked on there as well, but you can also buy them on Amazon, Barnes Noble, anything you like. Um, I also have online training. Um, and that online training goes from anything, you know, for uh, what I call a, a, a 
quick course all the way up to one of my flagship courses. And um, thanks for mentioning it because what I did for all your listeners, uh, I created a coupon code for if you want to take any online training I offer, it's called MentorMe25, all one word, lowercase, MentorMe25. It will give you 25% off of absolutely any training you want, uh, whether it's one-on-one with me or just take one of my one little quick courses. And also, you know, I have lots of ways to get in touch with me on the website. Uh, if you, or LinkedIn, I'm on social media all over the place. If you want to ask me a question, I am very accessible. Um, so please don't fear reaching out. I love, I, I have, I embrace teacher, mentor, and guide uh, for anyone that has anything um, that's burning on their minds. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this episode with Robin Dreek. I've had such a great time having conversations with all my guests, and this one was a favorite of mine. I hope you all gained value from this conversation. Please go check out Robin on his website, peopleformula.com, and use the code MENTORME25 for 25% off any online training program from Robin. That's MENTORME25, no spaces, go to peopleformula.com. On the website, you will also find links to his books on Amazon. If you did get value from this episode, please go give it a rating wherever you listen to podcasts.